Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, February sixth episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. In addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have featured over 140 poets from 17 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Polami Sony. Hi, Polami. Thank you very much for coming onto Poets and Muses. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for this. Great. I'm glad to hear that. You brought with you your poem, Rag Derberi. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm currently a university student. I am a freshman at the University of Arizona Honors College, and while I am majoring in public health and neuroscience, all that STEM stuff, I'm minoring in creative writing because I'm really passionate about it, and I'm very、um, excited to share my poetry with you. Great. Wonderful. Outside of university, I do a lot of civic engagement and climate activism. So I'm not really able to engage in as much creative work outside of, you know, learning and engaging with other students at the university.、Mm. But I'm looking to change that, and definitely I'm looking to get involved with other open mic nights and things like that. Yeah, it's been a difficult year in any case, right? I mean, halfway through the year, you basically we all had to deal with the COVID-related shutdown. So, even if you had the time to do it, it would have been quite difficult. Yeah, definitely. I think it's especially quarantine just made me feel like I needed to be doing something at all times.、Mm. I signed up for so many different things that I didn't leave like time in my schedule for. You know things that maybe I would enjoy more. <laughs> right, right. What have you been doing creatively with the time that you have? You say you haven't been able to engage as much, but what have you been able to do? So actually, I took a、um, my first class for my creative writing minor was a creative nonfiction class,、mm. and it was kind of new for me because previously I've only done fiction and poetry, like. Short story kind of thing,、mm. but I kind of found a way to merge poetry and nonfiction. I think,、cool. especially because so much of poetry like derives from like people's lives from nonfiction itself.、Mm-hmm. Um, for my final project, I created like a, a an amalgamy of like different poems、mm. that created this essay type of story. Cool, very nice. Do you remember when you started writing poetry? Yeah, I do. It was ninth grade in high school.、Mm. Um, I took my first creative writing class,、mm-hmm. and the entire class I told everyone that would listen that I didn't like poetry <laughs> and that I was terrible at poetry.、Mm-hmm. And then we would have these like、uh, like bell work things where we would you know scribble something out in the five minutes of free writing we had, and then we would share.、Mm-hmm. And in the poetry section of class. When we would do those things, and I would get called on to share my work, I would say what I'd written down, and then I would receive like good praise. I would get、um, a lot of 
commendations for what I was writing, and I was really surprised because I didn't think I was any good at it. Mm. And after that, I just you know kept writing, and I realized I actually liked it, and I really wanted to keep writing poetry. Cool. Wow. So you haven't you've been doing it for what like three years now? Four, more than four years, I think. Okay. Okay. That's great.、Uh, so before that, you you didn't write any poetry. No, before that, if I ever wrote, it would be like fiction, and it would be for fun. You know, like the things you do when you're like in third grade and try to write a chapter book or something like that. <laughs> wow. Cool. This is great. I mean, I I think it's wonderful that you went with the encouragement that you were given, and you decided to explore that aspect of yourself. And so, how did you get from that to becoming the finalist in the Arizona Youth Poet Laureate program? Well, at first,、um, I kind of got into this like poetry craze where I would, anytime something like struck me as interesting, I would start writing a poem and. But all of these, I would, you know, how you have the notes app on the iPhone. If I saw something interesting, the first thing I would do is jot it down.、Mm-hmm. So for a while there, I wrote a lot of poems in a、uh, over like a year, I think、mm-hmm. a year and a half. And then I took a break from poetry、mm-hmm. because I, I don't think I've ever been very good at sharing my. I've always been really nervous about, you know, sharing the things I've written, personal things or not personal things with the world.、Mm-hmm. But then after. That I kept writing kind of sporadically because I was like, you know, no one has to see this. I'm doing this for myself, not for、mm. one else. Right. And then eventually, I applied to the youth poet laureate program because、um, I saw that they were taking applications, and a friend of mine was organizing things. She said, "You should do it." You know. Right.、Um, what What do you have to lose? So I applied, and then I got back the news. I was a finalist. I was so surprised, but really happy too. <laughs> Yeah, I I really enjoyed the poems you read during that ceremony. Do you remember the what you wrote about your first poem? Vaguely, I know that a lot of the first poems I wrote, I ended up like scrapping and starting over after I reread them. But、mm-hmm. I think like I think it might have been about crows. I'm not really sure why, but <laughs> that's all I can remember. Crows, like the blackbird. Yeah. Oh. Yep. <laughs> well. There are a lot of them. Like I was really surprised because I'm I'm a transplant to Arizona. When you know in Phoenix, I remember noticing how many crows they were, and oh yeah, I don't know if you noticed that as well. There are just so many. I'm like, where do they come from? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. They just seem to pop out of nowhere. <laughs> And I can't tell the difference between ravens and crows. I, I think somebody explained it to me once, but I've forgotten. I think one is bigger than the other, right? <laughs> I both of them honestly scare me, though. Oh really? How come? Yeah, I don't. I've always like. I, okay, this is kind of strange, but I've always been scared of birds. I like avoid them whenever I go outside. And things like that, and I think like ravens and crows, especially just like all of those connotations, all of the literature I've read just kind of make them really frightening to me. <laughs> yeah, they do have、uh, this reputation of being sort of like、uh, messenger of bad omens or something, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this will be a great time to for you to read your poem for us, and then we can talk about it. Okay. All right. So my poem is called "Drop Their Body."
Um, and uh, and it's, it's based off a specific rock and, and classical music. Her grandfather played her dreams on his drum. The pattering of elegant pins and robust paws on powdered ivory surfaces, reminiscent of a humble and mostly forgotten history. She sings stories of the ocean in time with the Alexan, a patterned circle of rhythm, each beginning unfurling the petals that guard her heart. Her vocal cords quiver with the strain of emulating a memory. Small feet dance through a dusk, tracing old legends into the grounds, soft earth made of violent mythology. Her grandfather's palms, calloused and knowing, circle the heart of each memory. She beat echoing off the cement walls, landing on his chest, sneaking around his shoulder to his fingers where it is born again. Her grandfather knows what the canary she keeps inside her ribcage. He has crossed borders, braved battles, so she can sing scales and symphonies that bloom in reds and yellows like her dreams. He's dug through hardened dirt, picked the unbroken seeds from unforgiving soil, so all that she sees is his tomatoes, ladyfingers, and papayas. He's buried shriveled Tulsi plants, bowing before the rattling sun, so that all she sees is bursting gardenias. Her grandfather has given her a box of calligraphy pens, imported and unopened. He was once a cartographer, but now has a distaste for marking territory. He wants to see her pen papers. He wants ink by her hand to topple kingdoms and make palaces out of the soil he watered. Teaches her that colonization made monsters out of men, and with his head bowed, hands folded behind him, she cannot see his eyes. The dirt under her sandals threatens to drown her. Instead, she reaches for the dulcet branches. She traces the veins on its leaves and thinks about the blood in her own. With thick blue ink, she writes a new melody. Thank you. I love the imagery that you conjure up with your poem.、Um, it's really beautiful. I was rereading this a couple of days ago, and I was wondering because I read it with the packet of poems that you sent me, and I think I had just assumed that that was your grandfather, but now I was thinking maybe that was your mother's grandfather. So. Can you let us know、uh, if this is、uh, autobiographical? What's the relationship of this grandfather to you? Um, so I did base it off my own grandfather. I think there are a lot of you know fictional parts within. My grandfather doesn't drum, but it just felt right, you know, when I was writing it. It is、um, ultimately based off of my grandfather and my experiences. Okay, and you said he doesn't draw. Is that what you said? Oh no, he doesn't play drums. But、um, oh, okay. I was also thinking about a lot of musical connotations and imagery, so that just fit right in the moment. Yeah, I think there's、um, at least one school that teaches tabla playing in the Phoenix metro area. Yeah, I think so too. There are, I think, so a couple of schools that teach you know local music, which is what I learned. And then there are, I think, another couple that do teach tabla playing. Mhm.、Mm-hmm. I learned a little bit about、uh, Indian classical music, so I, I really enjoy it, and it's really nice to hear that very unique sound to the tabla. 
what I describe as a dip sound. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. It is very unique. And I think that, especially in classical music, it's pretty, uh, I think, maybe even a little strange to people who don't who don't listen to it, don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. But, like, once you do start listening, it's just, it's very, you, you kind of, you go into a trance. It's just such a beautiful way of singing. And, you know, every type of music is, has its own specialities. And I think... Um, Indian classical music is just very soulful. Mm-hmm. When you become more familiar with it and you hear more of the variety, I think you, you acquire a kind of a listening skill for it. It's very different than Western music because it has a, it's on a completely it's on a different scale. It's more a, it's a more refined scale. Yeah, yeah, they're like uh, I know when we were talking about like music and things like that with whole notes and half notes in Western music, they're like even more um, specificities in Indian classical music. Mm. And you know, when you compare it to like Western classical music, you kind of see the same discipline, I think, because they're both very, very, I think, rigid styles, but also very creative styles. Mm. What made you decide to enter into the poem by talking about the drum playing, even though, as you said, he doesn't actually play drums? So I've been personally learning Hindustani vocal for a really long time, and the more I learn it, the more kind of history and meaning that I find in it. And I think a lot of this poem had to do with history, Mm -hmm. with, you know, my grandfather and his ancestors, how that shaped him, mm-hmm. how that shaped my parents, how that shaped me. Mm-hmm. And I think starting off with something so rich in history and so ancient just kind of felt like the right thing to do as an introduction to the poem. Mm. In terms of the history, you kind of slowly move into it because you, I feel like you sort of set up this atmosphere and then you give some hints, especially towards like the fourth and you know, even even the you know third or fourth, you know, you you start in slowly. It's sort of like the it's like the classical music, the way that it moves. You know, very slowly, slowly, and then built up, and then there's a flourish at the end. I I see some similarities in terms of how the poem progressed as well, and I wonder if that's done on purpose. I think a little bit. I think partially um, consciously and a little bit subconsciously too. Um, yeah, you're you're like completely right. It's so slow when you start off anything in classical music and you hold out notes for a really long time kind of to convey that message, to put that foundation for what's happening. And by the end of, you know, the performance, the it's called dons and they're super fast, so many different notes all in different patterns. And I think it kind of reaches a climax and Mm -hmm. I think that does end up following the pattern that I put out in this poem yeah yeah can you walk us through a little bit of the hints of history that you kind of peppered in this this poem yeah sure I kind of have a bit of a typical immigrant relationship with my extended family so my parents did come here um, themselves and um, I was very young so 
um, like a lot of other immigrants, uh, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, most of them are in India. Mm. And it makes it, you know, hard to communicate sometimes. Obviously, we, we call often and things like that. But it's like the summers when I go there mm-hmm. and I really get to spend time with my grandparents and kind of reminisce about all of those, the, the first six years of my life, however much I remember that I spent with them. Mm. And I think maybe a, a couple years ago, I started talking to my grandpa about um, where he was born mm-hmm. and things like that. And I've written about this a few times uh, in different places, but um, I just never thought to ask about, you know, his experiences as a kid before somehow, mm-hmm. um, partially because we weren't able to see each other that much. Mm-hmm. And he started telling me about how he was born in Pakistan before the partition. Mm. And, um, forced a lot of Hindus out of the Pakistan region and a lot of Muslims into the Pakistan region. Mm-hmm. And it was it was super violent. It was, you know, an act of colonization. It was mandated by the British then mm-hmm. um, because they were um, still influencing the politics in the region. Mm-hmm. And it's such a huge uh, historical moment. And my grandpa, my grandpa was there for it. He was, I think, five years old when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of started to talk about more, more complex things with him afterwards. You know, uh, I think that was kind of the catalyst for understanding each other better and also understanding my own history. Mm. And I think that kind of the main um, thing that runs through my poem. Yeah, and I really enjoy this part where you say he was once a cartographer but now has a distaste for making territories and I have wondered if you were referring to the partition because you talked about colonialism making made monsters out of men yeah I was referring to it there okay okay yeah you know, as you said, partition was an outcropping of British colonization. It's basically their parting, quote unquote, gift to India. It's almost like that if we can't have you, nobody can kind of way that they left. And the way that they kind of divided and conquered India was through rewarding certain castes and certain religious groups uh, with incentives uh, and and sort of pitting one against the other. Apart from him talking with you about his personal experiences about it, had you, after you learned about that part of his personal history, did you go read up about it on your own? Yeah, yeah, I did. That was what kind of sparked my interest, I guess. I was always, like, vaguely aware of that, you know, this historical moment occurred, but that's when I really started looking into it. And, I mean, I still don't know. I don't think I know enough about it. I still want to keep reading. I want to keep learning about how that influenced um, where we are now because it's just such a complex historical moment. Yeah, yeah. I forget, what was the name of the state that got basically... Um, broken in half? Um, I'm not exactly sure either. So all I know is that kind of Northwest, yeah, Northwest India, 
um, that part where my grandpa lived. He lived in Bandu, and it's super close to the border of Pakistan. Mm. Um, I know in just that area, that's where the territory was marked, and that's um, what divided the two countries now. Yeah. It's, um, there's, um, I don't know if you read the, there's a book on it, a fictionalized book, and then there was a movie made of the book. I think the book was written by an Indian woman, and the film was directed by another, I forget if she's Indian or Pakistani, uh, woman, but they offer slightly different views about the same thing, even though the source material is the same source, so it was, I don't know if you've seen the movie or read the book. I don't think I have, but that's very interesting. There's just there's a lot of controversy, right? And a lot of controversy that stemmed from that too. So yeah, that's very interesting. I have to check it out. Yeah, I, I wish I remember the name. It was fascinating. Earth, I think, was the movie. That was my like sort of first time to really understand. Indian politics or recent Indian politics, Indian Pakistani politics and the relationships, even though like in my childhood, I attended a pretty diverse high school and I have friends who were both Pakistani and Indian. And I remember two uh, guys got into it, uh, having a huge fight. And until I read about the partition, I didn't really understand the animosity between the two guys yeah yeah i was um yeah that's true there's just there's so much like i think resentment that comes out of learning about these things too and resentment that's passed down through um generations Mm -hmm. about it Mm -hmm. i remember talking with my grandfather about um I don't remember exactly now, but it was a, a new policy that was being implemented in India mm-hmm. and how it um, how it affected the Muslim minority mm-hmm. um, at the, that was residing in India. I remember having different views from him because there was just like, there was such a, a, a disparity between like how we'd been brought up, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, you- these uh, sort of old resentments and old distrusts are also being exploited now, right, under under the current leadership as well. Yeah, definitely. Do you remember why you had decided to write this particular poem, what brought it about? I think I was practicing music, actually, that day. Mm. And I truly love Hindustani classical music, mm-hmm. but it's always been kind of a source of um, contention because it's difficult and I get frustrated with myself and <laughs> I just have a lot of expectations for myself mm-hmm. and then I was I this one rock it's so beautiful if you ever get a chance to listen to it you definitely should mm. so I just kind of quit what I was doing and I started singing this rock um, on the piano and um, it, it was it just made me feel so nostalgic I wanted to write about it and how that made me feel and it just led into this entire new subject and kind of made me rethink my ties with history Mm -hmm. it is very stream of consciousness and it oscillates between like your memory of your time spent with him 
and also his memory or hints at his memory of his own childhood. Was this planned out or it's just that it came out this way? I don't think I've really ever planned any of my poems. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of just go with what my initial thoughts are and then sometimes I look at other phrases I put down before. Mm -hmm. You know, I have like a Google Drive filled with um, like random phrases and thoughts and half finished poems and Mm -hmm. I see if I find things in there that I want to put in a new poem and a new work. Mm. Um, and I think that's happened with at least kind of this middle portion of this poem. So the third and um, fourth stanzas were both pulled from different kind of stream of thought splashes on the paper. Mm-mm-mm. I love all the details and the hints of things. It's both visually really just beautiful and stunning um you know your your grandfather's palms callous and knowing circled heart of each membrane you know all of all of these little details that makes the poem really come alive and you use the third person here and that's why i was wondering if that was your grandfather or maybe your mother's grandfather because of the other poems she sent me so what made you decide to use her rather than I or mine? I think I've always just been a little bit more confident in writing when I talk in third person Mm. because it makes me more comfortable with fictionalizing parts of this, uh, parts of the work and also distancing myself a little bit from it. Mm -hmm. I know I've been over my semester, my first semester um, learning creative writing at the university level um, you've been taught a lot about composing things. Mm-hmm. So you have the story and the narrator. Mm-hmm. And at one point, the narrator has to step back to make it a work, of, uh, make it a creative work. Mm. And I think that's kind of the methodology I use with most of my writing. So that's why I think third person ended up working better. Okay. Okay. When did you write this, by the way? This was, I think... Um, a few weeks before the Youth Poet Laureate finalist ceremony. Okay. I don't remember the exact date now, but I think it was about three weeks before I started working on it, and then I finished it about two weeks before the ceremony. Okay. I forget when the ceremony was, because, you know, this 2020 was, you know, <laughs> a blur. Yeah, I forget what week what day of the week it is at this point too. So <laughs> I don't even remember the season it was in. Was it fall or summer? <laughs> Maybe it was like vaguely cool, like a little cold, but not that cold or anything like that. Okay, okay, yeah, because I was just like, when was that? <laughs> It seems so long ago. Everything just seems so long ago. It's like whatever situation we're living in, that memory of it gets thrown immediately into this long ago folder or something. Yeah, yeah. I think November was the longest month, so that that one seemed to last a few years. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that that was torture really was so much um yeah that's why um we talked about it before i took a news break i was just like i can't deal with this (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh. I think my version of that was social media break. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Some kind of break, right? It was just too much. <laughs> Can you tell me, like, in the fourth stanza, there seems to be two different groups of plants. Well, one is that, you know, he's uh, toiling on the tomatoes, the ladyfingers, the papayas, and then, but he's uh, berry, shriveled, tulsi plants, which are these basils some kind of basil. I wasn't sure what those plans, what meaning they have for you, what symbolism they have for you, because they seem to be separated into two different groups. Yeah, so um, it's, it's a little bit more literal, I think. My grandparents have this really beautiful garden in India, and I always enjoy sitting outside, and they grow tomatoes, ladyfingers, and papayas, mm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when we moved here, um, we didn't really start a vegetable garden, but we do have a few plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite plant, we love to um, put it in tea and things like that. Mm. And so I think that this kind of correlates with the last stanza too. But um, the tomatoes, ladyfingers, papayas, those are the things he's grown and kind of how he's paved the path for me. I think my parents and my grandparents have always tried to make my life as free as it can be and give me the oppor- all of the opportunities I would want. Mm. Um, and I think when I reach for the Tulsi plants myself, I'm kind of taking back my independence, like, thank you for the opportunities, but I need to go with myself mm. a little bit of that. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. It, in, in many ways, it's, you know, both a thank you sort of poem, but also a coming of age poem, right? Uh, the sense of you end with the, you know, sense of going going on your own, writing your own melody. You know, she writes a new melody with pens that he's given you. Do you have a sense of what you were feeling when you decided to end on this sort of call for almost like a declaration of independence? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it was just like me understanding that this was to acknowledge everything that, you know, my family um, has done for me. But I, I was also writing this, I think, about half the first semester of college. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as per COVID-19 and everything, I was going through it online. But I'm not, I wasn't in person. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, as much as I love my family, I'm, I'm also looking forward to being a college student and being in a dorm and care of everything myself and things like that I'm looking for that independence Mm. and I think that's kind of that was kind of my assertion like maybe not right now because things are different but like that's what I'm going to do that's what I'm planning to do I'll be my own person right right and especially as you wrote this poem like during your first year or as you were about to start your second year right in college or is it first year? Is it now your first year? Sorry. Yeah, now is my first year. That was my first semester, so I'm gonna start my second semester soon. Right, right. Yeah, so so it's like you're defining a uh, a new period of your life with this poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think is subconsciously I sort of picked up on this idea of how 
you know, our, our grandparents and our parents and how they contribute to where we go in life in a way, how their stories affect our stories, that link, uh, obviously on a completely different tone. So, um, and, and my poem is called Her Idol. So I'm going to read that now and we can talk about it. In her stories, I glimpse traces of you, a figure who has taken on a mystical mantle. In pictures, I see I have sat in your lap, but my mind yields no discernible proof that sparks the tingling of my five senses. You were forced to leave, but you chose to stay in the frontiers, living through bone-shattering winters, or so recounts my imagination, staying mum about your reasons for the distance you kept from your children and wife. These were the particulars told matter-of-factly like a long-accepted passing that inspired no challenges. As the years are peeled away from my life's calendar, I grow wary of your legend. The stature you continue to occupy in her mind seems unjustified, and I wonder about the ways scars are passed down like sacred family relics. Could you have been the prototype to my instinctive attractions toward all the unavailable men, the habit to enshrine as idols those broken tickers that can no longer keep a regular rhythm but require exceptional effort to momentarily jolt awake? That was beautiful. Thank you. Is this yeah, for for the most part, I can't. <laughs> I didn't have a time to. I didn't have the time to uh, fact check the thing about the picture uh, of me in my grandfather's lap. I seem to remember that is a real picture, but I need to. That might not be real. That might be a false memory. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of um, kind of inclusion of false memory or like imaginative realities in poetry I think mm, yeah. and I, I think that makes it better yeah <laughs> what inspired you to create this poem it's actually your poem because uh, I realized uh, in the first time reading your poem that I don't have a poem about my uh, grandfather in fact this year I wrote a bunch of poems about my family I guess because I've had time to really think about how linked they are my actions to their actions and when I read your poem I was I really loved your poem obviously and I wanted to talk about that poem but I didn't have one about my grandfather and I wanted to write one so yeah it's it's kind of your poem you like the kind of reflective style when you write poetry Reflective in what sense? More about um, reflections and realizations um, than instances, maybe? I guess it depends on what I'm writing about. Right now, I don't can't think of uh, any, you know, sort of just like the typical examples that would separate these two. I do write in the moment, like vignette kind of poems where... I'm just capturing a moment. Is that what you meant by the other type? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I write both. And it just depends on um, 
similar to you, I don't really know when I start out to write a poem where it's going to end up. So this is sort of what came out. It's a little bit different than what I had planned, which was more reflecting on how his actions have affected my mother's life. So that may be another poem I'll write in the future. I come up with the name after, usually after the poem, and this uh, it's the same with this particular poem, and I think it really encapsulates this idea because from what my mom tell me about my grandfather, her father, it's always I, I've always felt like she's put him in this on this pedestal, and. When I ask her questions about it over the years about him, I realized there were certain things that she's never admitted to herself, and so he's always been this sort of legendary figure. So this, you know, these words like mystical, legend, idol, I feel like those are sort of anchoring words in this poem. Not much, to be honest, because I think if that picture is true, then I met him once when I was very young, and that's it.、Uh, I don't think I've been in his presence more than that once. I, I will have to. I mean, I do plan to actually call my mom and ask her about it. Now that I've written the poem and looked at it and realized that there are so many gaps of、uh, knowledge there.、Mm -hmm. Did you,、um, besides the、um, kind of mysticality that was your first impression of them, do you remember anything about that, or that about、uh, that real or false memory, actually? To be honest, it's all just stories that my mom told me, or maybe my grandmother told me, and I don't, I don't really recall if my grandmother really said anything about my grandfather. You know, when you're a kid and you're in a big family situation, I think you can relate to that. You overhear stories that the adult talk to each other about, and those. Pieces come to you later on in life, and you reflect on them, and you're like, "Huh, that's interesting." But it's very—it's almost like a dream. There's a dream quality to it because they were so long ago. So I don't—I don't really remember if some of these so-called memories are from those interactions that I witnessed. And which parts are more from my mom telling me stories about her dad? And I think, really,、uh, to be honest,、uh, like majority of my memory about my grandfather would be stories that my mom has told me.、Yeah.
And uh, in your second stanza, um, you talked about the frontiers and bone-shattering winters. Mm -hmm. So where is this happening? This is a very cold part. Or actually, I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I really don't know that part of uh, the, the region because um, I just know it's sort of the frontier region. Uh, it is peopled by those that are somewhat uh, more like a minority group from what my my family is. And so now that I know a bit more about the politics, I know a bit more about how that sort of confrontational that sense of danger comes from because there's a lot of propaganda and 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 there's a lot of colonial aspects to it but the more internal well it used to be external colonialism but now it's internal colonialism so there's there's a sense of danger because in the telling of the story of my grandfather my mom has always said that where they, he was sent to as an exile, as a punishment, and it was for a political punishment, that it was very physically dangerous for people of his ethnic group. Yeah, and I think um, the kind of uh, when you were talking earlier about how the things that your mother told you kind of were fact, you know, they were the history that you knew. Kind of, it really reflects in that paragraph. But I was wondering, um, especially in the fourth stanza, when you talk about the way um, scars are passed down, like sacred family relics, I kind of see that um, when I was talking about my own poem, how um, and how you mentioned how like the history of your grandfather affects your mother and then you. But what scars would you be talking about here? More emotional scars, like. I get the sense from my mom's excusing my grandfather, and even though she's never said it in a very direct way, is that he seems to have been a, well, I think she wanted to couch it as he was a man of his times. And at that time, the men was able to get away with cheating on their spouses. Uh, it is just their way of being men. It was a very normal thing. And this is something that I learned more recently in my adult life. And so I wonder how that affected the way that my mom chose uh, her husband, my dad, and how that affects my attraction to in, in, in you know, finding a partner in life. Yeah, it's like the, a lot of, um, I think, things and idioms, like the apple doesn't fall from the tree, <laughs> like mother, mother, that kind of um, train of thought, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, again, is, um, you know, when you're, when you're hearing the story when you're a kid, it has one effect on you, but then when you become an adult, uh, when your critical skills are, are become maturing, then you are hearing the same stories or you're thinking about the same stories and you're like, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're also like the more innocent ones. Like I know my grandparents, my grandma used to tell me, if you eat almonds, you'll become smarter. Mm. And I know that's a completely, you know, um, takeaway from this. Um, but... 
I, I definitely, when I grew up, like, I'm taking nutritional science classes and things like that now as part of my major. I'm like, I don't know about that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, there are sort of like the old wives' tales, right, um, that are... There are some truth to them, but they're not, they're definitely not scientifically investigated truths. And because they're passed down, they're taken as fact, they're never really re examined until, you know, people, you know, like the later generation with the with the knowledge that we have, and especially because we grew up in a different culture. So we look at it from yeah. a different lens as well. And I think it's like both. It can be like uh, harmful and not harmful, right? Yeah. And yeah. Here you bring out a definite consequence. Um, what other things are a little bit more uh, not so relevant or alarming, I suppose? Mm. Is there anything that you feel that you learned from your mother's stories that maybe made you more aware or more independent in your convictions? As an adult, hearing some extra details, when I, especially when I get curious and when I'm talking with her and I'm asking her questions or she talks about she's reminiscing with me and then I'm asking more adult questions. Uh, or questions coming from an adult, from the adult me. I think I am able to, you know, I, I accept that those are the way that she saw it, but I can tell because I am more mature now that I can tell that the way she saw him is not necessarily the way he was and that perhaps one of the issues is that she is refusing to accept who he was because, again, you know, I, despite the fact that this poem shows that I've not really had contact with him, the fact is she had very little contact with him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when we were talking about my poem, we talked a lot about how my family has shaped me to want to be more independent. Mm-hmm. And more, more self-reliant, I think, um, even though I'm grateful for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Is there a message like that that you see in your own poem? I think the message I see is uh, pretty much encapsulated in the last stanza, coming to the realization that perhaps, you know, this, my particular attraction to people that are kind of unavailable on one level or another might be rooted in the way that my my grandfather's interaction with my mom was. That that particular relationship, I, I don't know if it goes further. I would imagine it might go further uh, into the past than just my mom's relationship with him. I am also curious to find out, obviously, his relationship with his own parents. But it's it, I think now, because now that he's passed away, it will have to, it might have to remain a mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think your fourth, um, or your last stanza was um, probably my favorite stanza. I think those last few lines are so well done. And I I'm on, I wanted to ask if you could um, explain a little bit more about the tickers and the rhythm 
and then your last line momentarily jolts awake. What that means to you? Well, ticker is, um, I mean, is a sort of a synonym, more colloquial way of saying heart. Um, I'm always, when I'm writing something, I'm always interested in other ways of saying the same thing rather than repeating the same words over and over unless it's for effect. So ticker is something as I've used before to, in placement of the heart. And also it, it has a mechanical uh, aspect of it that's less organic. And I think when we think of the organic, we think of it as somewhat harder to explain. And then as I go with the mechanical symbol for the heart, I also start to talk about the more medical, using more medical references, like uh, irregular rhythms of the heart, you know, a heart problem, and how hearts can be, uh, heart rhythms or hearts that have stopped can be re reawakened, but it uses, you need to have these, um, Oh, I forgot the name of the machines that people use in order to resuscitate um, and get the heart beating again once it's stopped. I think they're called AEDs. Not sure, though. Yeah. Did you say AEDs? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so I wanted to use that sort of almost medical uh, terminology or medical imagery of resuscitating a heart or uh, as an exceptional effort as if I'm some kind of I'm working on a relationship to denote the extra work I have to put into these relationships that I get myself into like well, why am I doing this and how does the fact that um, my mother had very little access to her own father habituated me to uh, get into these relationships so it becomes very reflective, um, and very pensive at the end. Yeah, when I think medical, a lot of the times I think of it as more clinical or methodological, mm -hmm. um, and kind of even detached at some times. Is it? Do you feel like that might be relevant in your poem? Um, I think there is a sort of detachment from like when I'm just telling the story of my father, uh, my grandfather. You know. Even if I'm just sprinkling details, you know, most of it, as you picked up, and it's not, I don't really know the story. But the last stanza especially is more like a conclusion. It's almost if I'm writing an essay-style paper, right? And it's like I end with the, and so in conclusion, because of that, you know, sort of, <laughs> but without, without using that sort of stilted language. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up because, uh, like I was saying before, um, poetry like works well as an essay too, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of tension about what is an essay and what isn't an essay, but I think even a poem by itself qualifies as an essay. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it can definitely be. I think it's, it is a short version form of many other different literary forms. And it could definitely be an essay without it sounding essay-esque, I guess the, is the word, or essay-ish. <laughs> I mean, this, this layout, both your poem and my poem, has the layout of 
uh, presenting evidence and then coming to a conclusion, um, that format. I, I have one last question about your poem. Sure. Um, just kind of the situation or like maybe mental or physical space you were in when you were writing this. What was like the first initiation of this poem? Where were you at? Because I, I had read your poem some time ago, the, the first time, and I had already at that time wanted to write a poem by my grandfather, but, you know, I never went through a deliberate thought process as to, you know, how do I want to lay this out? It's just been in the back of my mind of, I want to write a poem about my grandfather. <laughs> and uh, it didn't ever go further than that thought. Uh, so none of the rest was solidified. And so I was thinking of how to initiate the poem. How do I start the poem? Which line do I start with? Where do I start? Um, and I actually talked with a friend of mine who had just written or read to us at an open mic two uh, poems about her own grandfather. I asked her to read them to me again because I had initially had another starting line in my mind, but, um, and it had to do with fog or, you know, just not knowing how solid the story is. And I wasn't sure, uh, if I was accidentally inadvertently pinching one of her lines. So I asked her to read her lines to me. Uh, and then I realized, I mean, like I was very, very relieved that I was not, uh, taking, borrowing any ideas from her. At the same time, I feel like having heard her poems, which were more narrative in style, and also similar to yours, narrative in style with a lot of details. Um, it's almost like, uh, you know, short story in poetic form. It kind of put me in that track of also telling a more narrative poem rather than very discrete uh, stanzas that each tell their own uh, thing that do not really necessarily link together. Yeah, I don't think I've ever really gotten the hang of um, having more discrete stanzas. I think as an amateur poet, I still have a long ways to go, and I'm very excited to try new styles. I was also wondering if you had any advice for me as someone who hasn't been doing poetry for that long and wants to continue. I don't know if I have really any <laughs> good advice for you, especially since you are in a creative writing program. I think you probably get better advice, more formal advice from those as well. I mean, I love the way your poems flow just in general. I, I like the story that they tell. I, I think... If anything, I would just say keep to your authentic voice. No matter what techniques you might learn, they should serve you rather than derail you from being you at the end of the day. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I really appreciate your questions, and I appreciate you allowing me to ask you questions about your poem as well. And I love how... In some ways, even though we tell very different stories about our individual experiences with our grandfathers, that they share some some things in common, like how 
their actions affect our actions and also this idea of family and how the family unit sort of they come together again through their actions and our actions and how we reflect on that before i let you go i i would love for you to tell us like how people can follow you uh on social media since you're not as involved in the creative community because of especially because of covid if you have any recommendations in terms of virtual events poetry events okay on social media um i have an instagram at paula misoni it's my full name that's all okay great um, i don't again know about what's happening with the creative community but um i always follow creative youth of arizona they have lots of different um events happening all the time. I think there's like a 21 day of poetry challenge or something similar going on right now mm. um, where you prompts and then write on them. Mm. Um, but honestly, anything Creative Youth of Arizona is doing is always really great. Yeah, that's, that's about it. Okay, cool. Well, thank you again for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I loved um, reading your um, poetry and it's and I've loved all the episodes you've had before on the podcast. I'll keep listening to them for sure. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. In addition to the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page and website, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.